Morning, guys. How are you doing? That's great. Thank you for answering that, Lisa. Appreciate that. It feels like a quite a quiet day today. You guys get the gold stars today. You could have been at the cycle race in town or the race for life over the road. You could be at the beach as it's such a nice day. But you chose to come to church. God bless you. <laughs> uh, well, the others will find out what they missed later. Um, you guys all right? Excellent. Uh, Chris and Andy have got some sheets. Perhaps you'd be kind enough to pass them around for me. Um, today we're finishing off a series we've been running for the last four or five weeks um, called What on Earth is the Vineyard? What on Earth is the Vineyard? And what does it mean to be part of it? We've spent some time uh, looking at the key values um, and the key distinctives that are part of the, the vineyard movement and, uh, and what it means to be a vineyard church. Um, I think, as I said at the beginning of this series, we don't in any way claim to be the best church or the, the definitive way to do church or anything like that. Uh, we don't in any way claim that. But um, we do have some convictions about how God has called us as a movement of churches. Um, and uh, we just thought it would be helpful to spend some time going over those and uh, reminding some of you. For some of you, this has been a reminder because you've been in the vineyard a long time. And I've had several people come up to me and say, oh, it's just great to hear that again. And it reminds me of why I joined this, this church or that vineyard church many years ago. For for others of you, it's probably perhaps completely the opposite, and you, you know, never made a conscious decision to join a vineyard church. It was just that this was the church that God brought you to. You may uh, you may agree with these. You may not even agree with them. That's that's okay. Um, you may just like it here. Um, I actually joined a vineyard church in 1991, um, and since then have never considered going to any other kind of church. <laughs> I know it sounds like a cliche, um, but within a week or two, I knew that I was home when I got to the vineyard. That's just how it was for me. I'm not saying it has to be like that for you. Um, if you're new, or I hope this, is, this series has been able to give you some insight into who, what kind of church we are. Um, today, what I want to do is I want to draw together some of the key values um, that we've looked at over the past three or four weeks um, and just, just really underline some points um, and, and, and talk about some application because it's all very well knowing the theory. It's all, very, it's all very well knowing the ideas and why it is that we are how we are and why we do things the way we do. Um, but, the, but there's something to do here. There's something to do in practice. You've probably heard over the last three or four weeks. And by the way, if you've missed any of the talks, they're all on the website so you can catch up on them in your own time. You've probably heard the phrase, doing the stuff. You've probably heard the phrase, everybody gets to play. Um, I nearly called this talk, everybody gets to do the stuff. <laughs> um, but I didn't in the end. <clears throat> but the point, the point I'm trying to make is whatever's brought you here and whatever God is saying to you, um, and whatever you think about the vineyard, following Jesus isn't a spectator sport. And being in this church, we don't do spectator church. We're not a spectator church. We're a community of people who are actively and intentionally pursuing Jesus and trying to figure out all that he's doing, um, trying to figure out what he's doing in the world around us, trying to make sense of our faith in this culture trying to make a difference to our communities, trying to be real 
trying to have fun. A friend of mine who leads another church in another city has this phrase, which um, feels a bit cheeky, but I really like it. He says, what we're aiming to do is be more normal in the church and more Christian in the world. I really like that. So let's remind ourselves of the vineyard man. You've got him on your sheet there. I don't have any PowerPoints today, um, but you do have him on your sheet. And uh, for one last time (laughs) this morning, the vineyard person, sorry, he's the vineyard person. In the old days, we called him the vineyard man, but we're enlightened now, and that's all fine. Um, this is the vineyard person, and by, just to remind you, this isn't meant to be one person. Um, this is just meant to be a sort of um, simple um, and hopefully illustrative description of uh, what a local church is. And as you know, Jesus is the head of the body. That's very biblical. That's a biblical metaphor that we use, and Jesus is the head of this church. And the Bible uses this, uses that analogy of a body. Um, to, he uses some other analogies as well, but uses that analogy of a body to describe what church is. And very clearly, if we are a body, Jesus is the head. Um, and then we talked about the foundations of the Bible as God's word and the kingdom, the theology of the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you remember this, I talked about the tension of living between the now of God's kingdom and the not yet of God's kingdom. And that's, this, is, this is really crucial. It kind of underpins everything we do and we believe. It's this understanding that God, the kingdom of God, is like this. And underst- when we understand this, it helps us explain what's happening when, just like just now, God's presence breaks through and someone receives a measure of healing. Or what happens when we worship and we just intense, in- experience that intense presence of God, that peace. It's like a moment of heaven breaking through. In the Celts back in the day, they used to call it, um, they had special places where this happened, they used to call it thin places. But places where heaven touches earth. You know, in our enlightened Western culture, it's not very cool to believe in the supernatural. Um, um, it's, it's sort of because you can't really explain it. But, um, but if you go back all through history, people have been And through the history of the church, people have been experiencing just moments of heaven touching earth. You read about it in the Bible, we read about it in history, we read about it in culture. And so understanding how the kingdom of God works gives us a way of explaining that when we witness the supernatural, when we witness a miracle happening, that is a chance, an opportunity, a time when the kingdom of heaven is breaking through. When heaven is coming to earth, when God is making things new, he's recreating, regenerating. That process began with Jesus and it will end when Jesus comes again. And we live in the middle of that. And we're engaged in the process of bringing his kingdom. And everything we do, all of our activity helps, is, is about bringing the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to bear on earth. To the lives of those around us and to the communities that we're part of. Many of which, if we're honest, desperately are in need of transformation. Desperately. I mean, do you live in the perfect place? Do you live in the perfect community? Are you, you know, the people who you're working with and, and living around a meeting in the school gate, are their lives all sorted and happy and shalom and everything's very cool? It's not the case for me and for us. And therefore, God is still got, God is at work. There are things to do. Um, this understanding of the kingdom also helps us understand uh, what happens when, in contrast to that, things like when, when we pray hard and we just don't see results and we don't see a measure of healing. When it, apparently what seems to be happening is that God is not intervening or hearing our prayers and we're not experiencing that. Now, I cannot 
pretend to understand the mysteries of God. I don't really, honestly, I don't know why um, it is that some people get healed and some people don't. But I do know that this kingdom theology is my best thinking about how this works and why this works. Now, just because it's my best thinking, that doesn't mean that I can get lazy with my practice. And I didn't really say this, and somebody came and had a chat with me about this and reminded me um, very, very helpfully. And I just wanted to add this, really. You see, some people take that thinking further. And they say something that sounds a bit like this. The reason that you didn't get healed is because you didn't have enough faith. Now, I, I, I can't go there because I can't really see that in the Bible. So I'm not here to criticize anybody who does. But in my thinking, I just can't, I can't go there because it doesn't sound like a loving God to me. But I, 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 can't, I can't at the same time give you lots of explanations why. But I do know that that's an unkind, an unkind way of, of, of viewing things. But just because I can't go there, that doesn't mean that I can just go, oh, I prayed for you once, you didn't get healed. Oh, well, that's the not it of the kingdom, let's move on. Do, do you see what I'm saying? There's a subtlety and a difference of what I'm talking about. But it's important. It's important. And so just because my best thinking is that the kingdom is not yet here, that doesn't mean that also I'm not called to persist in prayer and to persist in faith and to keep pushing into God. Because I just know that the more we pray, the more God answers. I, 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 can't, I can't explain how it works, but if we don't, he doesn't. And if we do, sometimes he does, you know. Is that okay? You, you with me on this? Great. Give me a nod. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so someone reminded me about that. And that was, uh, yeah, we're called to persist in, in prayer. That's a, just a little bit on the kingdom. Um, the legs we looked at. Have we got good legs, everybody? Um, we looked at the legs of the church being worship and compassion. We talked about the equal importance of our time worshipping and gathering together and giving ourselves to God just as we have done. And then the way that we respond to the needs of the world around us in the name of Jesus and how those two things are equal. Okay, how those two things are equal. And there is a danger, isn't there, of being mismatched or even of being one-legged. You know, maybe, maybe one of those dangers is just hollow worship. People who gather, you know, week after week for worship and, and they have a wonderful time, but, but it never kind of finds its way out of the church. Or on the other side, you know, people who are so busy serving that they suffer perhaps something you might call compassion fatigue. And, and forget to go back to the living God who has all the resources that we need. So either way around, that thing's a dangerous thing. And I talked a little bit about the revelation and response cycle that reminds us that worship is not just singing a few songs on Sunday. But it's actually living out our faith and that we get the power to live out our faith when we come to God together. And then the power to invest in those around us. We get the power to do that by constantly coming back. It just goes round and round and round. So, um, as Joe said, we went to a conference last week in Northern Ireland. Um, about this time, we were flying back there, praying for you guys, hearing that you had a great time. I listened back to the podcast. Chris did a great job. Um, and, um, you know, here we are. And I'll tell you a bit more about that in a minute. But, you know, presence of God was very real. This is a church where God's really doing stuff. Um, that was Sunday, Monday morning. I walk up doing the school run, walk my um, little one up to school. And I'm walking back, chatting to this guy next to me. 
And uh, I say, I know him a bit. I don't know him that well, but I know him to talk to a bit. And uh, I say, oh, how are you? And he says, well, actually, my, my, I've really done my foot in. Turns out he's a, um, he does, he's into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is different to normal jiu-jitsu, apparently. Um, not that I would claim to know anything about that. And he has a competition in two weeks' time, which he's training for, except he dropped a gym bench on his foot. And, uh, so he's, and I can see, because he's wearing like flip-flops, um, that, that um, there's a very you know, big sort of bruised, swollen big toe. And he's like, I'm just going to have to... Hurt. So we spend the whole, pretty much the whole time back talking about this. And I've got this thing in my head, oh, you know, and I'm just, guys, I'm rubbish at this. I'm rubbish at this whole thing. But I just know that I have to ask him and I have to say, look, I'm going to offer to pray for you. So just as we're sort of about to go, I say, so um, this might sound really weird, but um, I'm a praying person and uh, would you like me to pray for your toe? At which point his response was, no, I'm a very secular person and no, I don't. Thank you. I said, okay, thanks very much. I'll tell you what, I'll pray on my way home, <laughs> which I did. And you know, that's fine. Um, <clears throat> trying to live out our faith. It's up to God what he wants to do with him. On the way home, of course, I'm going, get him, God, get him, God, sort it out. You know, just heal it anyway, just whatever. Um, I haven't seen him since. I'm going to have an interesting conversation next time I see him. Um, Joe, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the body, the church as a community, as a house, or as a community, sorry, as a hospital, as a school and an army, about how this is a place to belong to develop relationships that strengthen us. Joe also talks about it as being a, like a hospital, a place of healing and recovery. And we, we said that at the time, that's not, a, that's not particularly a biblical metaphor, but it is a very helpful metaphor because Jesus is in the business of healing and transforming lives. And so perhaps the church is a little bit like a hospital because it's a place to go and receive a measure of healing from Jesus and a measure of transformation. And some of us, to be honest, really need that. Because life has, has been a real struggle. And Jesus does promise help and healing um, through his church in some measures. And as a church, we really want to facilitate that. And uh, we do that through a loving community. Um, and the thing is, it can be easy, can't it? And tempting sometimes to arrive in a place feeling really beat up and broken. To really enjoy the welcome and the hospitality and just the feeling of being loved and then just to want to stay there for a while. It's, it's a temptation. It's like sort of going to hospital and then never wanting to come out, which depends on, I suppose, the kind of hospital that you go to as to whether or not. But, you know, um, my father-in-law um, was a doctor for old people for many, many years and he did say that there were some people who went into hospital and they didn't really need to be there, but they just didn't want to be on their own. Isn't that interesting? And so what Joe was saying, and I just wanted to underline it really, was that, you know, Jesus says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And that although the church is a hospital, the healing happens in the context of community, school, and army. And that, he, as Joe was saying, just, he encourages us to take steps too. That's why hospital is only one of the four pictures. And some of us, you know, really need that season of, of, uh, of rest and recovery um, but what's really great is when we start to lift our eyes off ourselves and just put them back onto Jesus. And we start to take steps forward as he's, as he's helping us in the place of growing, in the place of community, and, and the place of the army. So um, one, of the things, one other thing that Joe said really resonated with me 
which was about being a host. You see, the way I think of it is when we first come here, if you come here, then I, I, want, I want us to think of those who are coming into the church for the first time or those who are new in the church as our guests. So if you come here, we want you to feel welcome. If you're new here or you've just been coming a few weeks, I'd love you to feel like you're our guest here. And we try and do church in a way that facilitates and enables that to happen. Just as if you were coming to be a guest at my house. I'd want to offer you a drink. I'd want to um, spend some time sort of trying to put you at ease and being friendly and welcoming and relaxed and informal. But once you get past the guest stage, say that you've decided, yeah, I really like this place. This is where I'm going to make my home as a church. This is a place I could call home. Then actually our role changes from being a guest to being a host. From being a guest to being a host. And all of us have the opportunity and the calling actually to be a host and to welcome others to what Jesus is doing here in this church. Every week, people are coming here who are on a journey of faith. Maybe that's you today. Maybe they've had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe they've made a decision to give their life to him. Or maybe they're just looking They're just exploring that or looking for hope in the middle of a really tough time. I think it takes a lot of courage to go to a church for the first time. Especially a church like ours. And if you're new here today, I just want to say welcome. And thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. Um, A friend of ours, Steve Barber, he talked about it like this. Imagine that Jesus was coming to church. I mean, kind of he is, isn't he? But imagine it was him. What would we do? How would we act? And in fact, imagine this, and this is how I try and think of it, that Jesus has sent some people here for us to introduce him to the kingdom of God and to introduce him. So we want to be a welcoming party, not a surprise party where we all hide in the dark and then go, boo! I don't know why I said that, but it just came to me this morning when I... I I was just thinking about this this morning and and I thought we're a welcoming party, we're not a surprise party. That would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Um, a few weeks ago, I got up on Sunday morning and I was just, <laughs> as you do, I was just looking on Facebook actually. And, um, and on Facebook, I saw a, a, a post from uh, one of the guys on our Healing on the Streets team. Not Will, but one of the other guys on the team. And it just said, and this was, they'd been out the day before. And it just said, um, girl, a girl gave her life to Jesus on the streets yesterday. And I thought, how wonderful. How wonderful. I didn't think any more of it. And then we were up here and it was ministry time and, and I just remembered it. And I, I just I sort of said it out. I didn't know who this girl was. I didn't know any, any of the story, any of the details. I said, oh, you know, I actually said, because I felt like the, it was the Lord. All over this city, people are making decisions to follow Jesus. Yesterday on Healing on the Streets, a girl gave her life to Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus, let's talk. I didn't think anything more of it, didn't know anything more of it. Anyway, what I discovered afterwards was that a girl was here. <laughs> and uh, maybe you're here today, actually. Um, if you are, I'm sorry, I don't want to embarrass you, so I won't name you. But um, sh- she was here, and um, she had bumped into the Healing on the Streets team, and uh, through various means had, had um, made the decision right there and then to give her life to Jesus. I think it wasn't, a, it was, I mean, it was a moment, obviously, but there was a story and, you know, this is something she'd been thinking about for a while. Anyway, the guys were able to pray with her and lead her to the Lord, which was, which is wonderful. And, uh, and, and um, it was Joe who was talking to her and she said, oh, I, I really hope you weren't embarrassed by 
that thing that Nigel said up the front. Because I said, oh, people are giving the, you know, girl hitting on the streets. And she said, her response was, no, no, no. No, the opposite. I was sitting in the middle of the row and I couldn't really get out. But I kind of wondered if I was supposed to come and go, hey, it's me. (laughs) I thought, how wonderful. How wonderful. And if you're that girl or if you've given your life to Jesus, we're not in the... We're not in the business of embarrassing you. <laughs> but we'd love to hear. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about it because God is in the business of bringing people. And we want to be really good hosts of what God is doing and who God is bringing to us. And then lastly, just the arms, the church development and church planting. Um, or as Chris put it also, I've written here, a.k.a. growing and multiplying. And our commitment to growing and planting and resourcing other churches, which is all about enabling new expressions of church and Chris put this really well last week he said it's a you know if we don't continue to plant expressions of church and churches then we church will find we'll find it harder and harder to become relevant to the current generation and the next generation and so church planting we haven't talked about it much here but it's part of our DNA and in fact I saw a couple last night uh, Matt and Katie some of you might know them they're in Chichester and they planted a church there a year ago And I've invited them to come here in the autumn and just spend a Sunday morning just telling us their story about what it's like. There's probably, I think there are about 12 people in their group when they sort of officially started. And they're certainly seeing seeing it grow and they're doing some, some fun things. Anyway, Chris talked about a couple of the different church plants he'd been in when they were very small. And how a very small church plant is a very different thing to a church like this. For me, I joined, the church I joined had 30 people in it at the time. Just 30, two small groups, but a very big vision. And 19 years later, when I left, not only had the church itself grown significantly through various seasons, but they'd planted about 10 churches out in that time. And currently they're meeting, they have three services there, around 600 people meeting with them last Sunday. They brought them all together and baptized six people, including our, uh, one of our goddaughters, which was really fantastic. Um, we couldn't go, but we were so thrilled to hear about it. And there are many small groups and they've sent out many leaders. So growth and multiplication is part of what we do. Not everyone is called to plant churches, but everyone is called to be part of the story of growth and multiplication that Jesus wants to do in his church. You know, this week I heard about three people who've come to faith in the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks, in the context of our church. Isn't that wonderful? That's three more to add to the five that we knew about already since the start of the year, which makes eight. Not that I'm counting. No, that's not true. I am counting. Now, let me, just let me say this. It's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. Every number tells us a story of transformation of what God is doing. And I love what Chris was saying last week about the difference between evangelizing uh, people, about convert, a converting or conversion mindset and a discipling mindset. You know, that we're not simply called to get people to decide to convert their faith, that that it's about simply sharing something we love, someone we love, with some people that we love. So as Joe said already, two weeks time, we've got a baptism service. And if you're somebody who hasn't been baptized, whether you're somebody who's recently come to faith or whether you're somebody who's been a believer a long time, as Joe said, it is actually one of the commands that Jesus said. He says, if you follow me, get, get baptised. Make a public declaration. And the other command was celebrate communion. Remember what I've done on the cross. That's what he left them with. And so there's nothing to be scared of, but it is significant. And I'd love to encourage you 
to just ask the Lord, if, is that me? Here's an opportunity. We'll be doing that in two weeks' time. Come and speak to us afterwards. I just... I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited because not only is this the church movement that God's put us in and these values are very important to us, but I'm also excited because God is doing stuff in our midst. And just to sum this whole thing up, I just wanted to remind us, and I've written them up here actually on your sheets, of some of the key passages and some of the key words that God has spoken to us as a church over the last little while. Um, The one in Deuteronomy 37 was something that God spoke to Joe and I before we came here. Very clearly, very clearly, that, that, that Moses had said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. So this was really for us. We had this sense that God has promised something for this church and that our job was to go with you guys into this land. Um, The one in Matthew 28 has already been quoted and gets quoted a lot because it's all about Jesus' command to us. But I've added that bit at the bottom in in italics. You know, make, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, there it is again, in the name of the Father and the Son. Teach them to observe what I've commanded you. And I've added in Winchester and the surrounding areas and the communities where we live and work. That's our great commission. Last September, I spoke about Hebrews 1. I really sensed that the Lord was saying that this was a season of preparation for us, that there were things that God wanted to do, that it was a time to build and go, which comes from sort of further down the passage. But key, key in this is the faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, that God is building something and doing something, not in the church, but in our whole community, in our city, all around, that God is doing something that we can't yet see apart from in the spirit. And then in January, um, I shared this word with you that um, my friend Simon gave to us that I felt was really significant for us as a church. And it was the Lord saying, I'm the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offering. And I'm with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. And there was this sense and there is a sense of God wanting to, that that God is in the business of growth, of transformation of doing something here that will make him famous, that will make his name famous, and that will bring significant transformation. And this lines up with a couple of the words that were shared with us. These aren't from the Bible, but this word from 2009 is from a lady called Isabel Allen. She said there'll be a time, this is what she said, sort of speaking about this church in 2009, there'll be a time when there'll be a complete habitation in this place and when the glory of God will be so strong that even day and night will be found when smoke will fill the temple And the presence of the Lord himself will walk among the people. And people will say, I just saw him. He just touched me. I'm not sure that I can remember any time when I've seen smoke in here. But I have felt the presence of the Lord in this place. And she also went on to talk about promises to be restored. That this is a place where old promises can be restored. And people can believe. And a place of expansion. 
that this place of believing again is going to cause the walls of this place to burst open because the Lord is saying there's expansion coming. Even the walls of this house because there's going to be many more who need to come. Make room for them. Make room for them. So one of the things that we are just thinking about and praying through at the minute is how we do that practically. I'm not suggesting we literally knock the walls down, although you never know, it could come to that. Um, But what we are looking at and praying about at the minute is whether we need to start a second service, an evening service, um, at a different time of day, just to make more room for what God wants to do. I don't know if that's absolutely for sure. I don't know the timing on it yet. I'm fairly convinced that that's what the Lord wants us to do. But we don't have the timing on it yet. We'll come back to you on that. But I do think that God is in the business of expansion and growth. And then September 11, this is when we first came here, where we were sort of prayed for and somebody had this word, which was about Winvin being an inside-out church, bigger on the outside than the in. That we weren't inward-looking, but outward-looking, outstretched. I love this last phrase, that God's church won't just be a church, won't just be those who come to church, but all those people who are affected by the people who come to church. I love that idea of us and our footprint. You know, it isn't just about you and your life. It's about all the people that you touch. It's about all the people that you interact with. It's about what God's doing in their lives. And I, you know, I, I, I really believe that God is inviting us to partner with him to walk into some of this. That he has huge plans and dreams for his people here and his church here in Winchester and for this city and for the surrounding areas and for the communities that each of us are part of. He's got a plan for multiplication and growth and blessing. He's got dreams and visions. And when God speaks, we have a choice about what to do. We don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. At the same time, we don't try and make it happen ourselves by just pushing in. But somehow in the middle of those two positions is an invitation to partner with God in what he wants to do. I wonder if we really know what God wants to do, what his kingdom purposes are for our communities. So as I said, we were in Northern Ireland last week. We were at Causeway Coast Vineyard. Um, the leader there is a guy called Alan Scott. They planted the church 16 years ago. He quoted uh, John Wimber. He said, John Wimber, who was the leader of our movement, came some years ago. Well, I mean, he died 20 years ago, so before then. And Wimber said, you know, Scotland and Ireland are two of the most difficult nations I've ever been in. I don't really know how, how it seems like it would be very hard for God to do something really radical there. And Alan quoted this. At the same time as saying that in Causeway Coast, in Coleraine, where they are right on the top end of Ireland, this year so far they've seen 1,137 people get saved. Um, and overall, overall, since the start of January 2014, 3,563 people. Not that he's counting. <laughs> he did make the point of saying, as I have this morning, that this is not just about a numbers game. This is that every single... One of those numbers is a story of transformation. There was a session that we went to, which he specifically asked not to be recorded or tweeted or anything like that, where the staff just told stories that they wouldn't normally tell in public and they wouldn't tell on a Sunday because they're just too sensitive. But there was one girl who was perhaps 17 
who had got significant um, significant cancer. What was it of cancer of her brain cancer, which had gone into other parts of her body? And the youth in her group had pressed, had just said, "We're coming. We're committed to this. We're pressing into God for this." And literally the day before the lady told the story, she said, "I got a text to say she's been to the doctors. She had a scan. The whole thing's clear. The whole thing's clear." And they told stories uh, which involved involvement with paramilitary organizations in their community and seeing change and transformation there and culture change. He said, people, Alan said this, people may have theories about your area, but the father has enough favor to change the story in your city. So I don't, what, what's said about your communities? I don't know where we all, some of us live in Winchester here. I don't know what the prevailing spirit in Winchester is. Sometimes I've heard people say, oh, it's people sort of very smug in Winchester. They kind of feel like they've made it. That may be true for, for, some, for some of us, but I think the Father has enough favour to change the story in Winchester, in Basingstoke, in Southampton, in Eastleigh, and wherever it is that we live. What, what do people say about your place? What do people say about your place of work? Um, Alan was just commenting on what's gone on over there. He said, something is shifting. In some ways, it's utterly sovereign, and in other ways, it's entirely predictable. And it's predictable because those guys for the last 10 years have just relentlessly poured out into the community. Poured out into the community. Just refusing to believe that their faith was meant to stay in the building. They've seen ordinary people, everyday life change. Shopkeepers, children, pensioners, farmers. He was quite, he was quite keen to point out this is not revival. Because that happened in 1859 in Coleraine. It's documented. And he read some of the documents. And what happened in that revival that was documented is literally people were slain in the spirit in the street. And that isn't happening yet. <laughs> he said, I'm not sure what it is, but it's, I don't think it's revival. But there seems to be a lot of favor. And then he said this thing which I've written on the bottom of your sheet. The next great move of God is not a movement from the church. It's a movement of the church. It's not going to happen through gathered environments. The move of God isn't going to happen in the church. It's going to happen out of the church. Through scattered servants. I really believe that God is at work in our city. And people here are looking for answers. And by our city, by the way, I know I live here in Winchester. But wherever it is that God has put you. Wherever it is that he's called you to. Wherever it is that you are based God has got answers in in fact it's funny really you have got an unfair advantage in your workplace or your playground or your community group or your city because people will be very aware of what the issues and the problems are and you have the creativity of almighty God to come with kingdom answers to some of those problems is it a problem with finances is it a problem with unemployment Is it a problem with social issues? Is it a structural problem? God is at work in the city. You've just heard the story about, I was going to tell that story, Will. I didn't know you were going to do that today. (laughs) About the guy healing on the streets. But the question for us is, what's God already said and what's he saying now? What dreams do we have for our communities? We talked at some length about what it is to be a trusted ruler of God. To know his identity to know the authority he's given us and to know the assignment he's called us to. The next series we're going to do is like the flip side of that. We're going to come to this after camp and it's called Scattered Servants. 
And it's how we kind of see this discipleship that Chris was talking about, how we see our role as not bringing people into the church, but taking the love of Jesus just to wherever we've been scattered to. Wherever we've been scattered to. So there's some questions there. What's God doing in your place of work? I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to stop in 30 seconds, and I'm going to just invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm just going to give us time to reflect on this. What is God doing in your place of work, in your kids' playground, in your community, down your street? And are you satisfied with what He's doing? What does He want to do? What dreams? What are the needs? What are the hopes? of your community and how could God get involved why don't we um, I think I'm done why don't we uh, why don't we just stand for a minute and why don't we just take a minute to listen to God Holy Spirit would you come and would you reveal to us what it is that you're calling us to. Lord, we, loved, we, we love being part of your church here. And we, well, I do anyway. I love the vineyard. I love what it's all about. We love these values and we love what you've called us to, Father. It's a real privilege to serve you and to be part of your church here. But it doesn't stop there because really, Lord, what we really need to know and want to know is what have you got for us to do in the places that we live and work? What are your kingdom dreams And how are we, the church, going to make a difference in this world? So show show us, Holy Spirit, show us what's on your heart now. What is it that's on your heart? And I'm just trusting the Spirit to come and speak to each of us, just to drop some stuff into place. If if you're not getting anywhere, just reflect on those questions, maybe. Or just open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to do? Where am I called to and how am I called to make a difference there? But not, not how am I just going to make a difference on my own. What are you wanting to do there, Lord Jesus? What is the presenting need? What is the prevailing issue in my team, in my place of work, among the parents in the school playground or the people I hang out with for my day? What, what, what's the presenting issue? Holy Spirit, come show us. Pray. And Joe was just Joe was just saying it may be that what comes to you is something very small. The picture she had was was just or the word was just just graffiti. It may be something as simple as wash, cleaning graffiti off. But the que- the question is what do you want me to do about that, Lord? What's he showing you? And then ask him, what 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 do you want to do here? What do you want to do here? Because Father, we want to be people who's Visions and dreams are for your communities and your cities. What do you want to do here? What do you want to do here, Lord? What do you want to do here? It may be that... It may be that in response to this, you may feel that it would be appropriate to get together with other people in your workplace or your community... Who, who are kind of close to you in some way and just have a, have a conversation what did you sense maybe you've got someone who works in the same place as you or 
lives in the same area as you. What is the Lord? What do you sense the Lord is wanting to do? This is what I sense. What does it mean to be the church in the place that God's called us to? Because that's what we want to do. And from here on a Sunday, you know, our aim is just to empower and encourage all of us to go and do this thing. We only spend a couple of hours here a week. We meet with God. We encounter him and then we take that encounter out because we know people who need to encounter God, don't we? There are people all around us who are desperate to encounter God.